0: on Tuesday night, which is date night for Dallas and I. My friend Hank, Hank called me and he said, "Would you like to go out for a sunset flight in my plane?" That's pretty cool, right? He calls me, says, "Do you want to want to go out and watch the sunset from from the air?" And I've been wanting to do this. He's asked me a couple other times and it just hasn't worked out because of scheduling and it's usually very last minute. So, But it worked, Dallas and I. We head over to Samoa, which actually is a functioning airstrip. I didn't know that, but it is. And Hank is standing by his little tiny plane. I think we have a picture of it on here somewhere. There it is. Little tiny plane, three seats in there and And so we go check it out. We're looking around. It looks really small, and it is and And while Hank is getting everything ready. I noticed that he has this little laminated sheet of paper, and it was his pre-flight checklist. The things that he goes through. Hank, he walks through each step very meticulously. And sometimes he was saying the steps out loud, okay, I'm checking the tires, I'm checking, you know, he's, he's going through all of those things, and sometimes he was just quietly checking them off, and, and we didn't take off, we didn't even get into the plane really, until he'd done everything on the outside, then he said, okay, we can get in now, and he starts to check everything on the inside, there's so many dials and gauges and all kinds of things inside the plane. On both sides, I had a controller thing in front of me, too, which was pretty neat. He let me fly the plane for a little bit. And we, we just we didn't take off until everything on his list had been thought about, considered. Okay, we did this. We did this. And, and Hank has spent hours and hours in the air. I don't know how many hours... I probably don't want to know because I would want it to be more. Uh, but he uh, he has spent a lot of hours in the air, and he didn't take, as far as I could tell, he didn't take any shortcuts while he was getting ready. I didn't hear him say, ah, "I checked that last time. I'm sure it'll be fine." Uh, he and and for me, this was like a a big source of comfort. I've never been on a really small plane like this. Uh, it's the smallest plane I've ever flown in. And it's just, everything is so tight and you're jammed in there. And I'm a large person, uh, admittedly, but it just brought me a lot of comfort except for when the plane wouldn't start and he had to jump start it with a little battery thing. He's like, it's totally fine. It's not, it doesn't have anything to, it's just to get the prop going. Everything's fine after that. I didn't believe him, but we we lived. <laughs> we lived, we're here. And when when it comes to a life of, of following Jesus, I think sometimes wouldn't it be nice to have a, like a pre-flight checklist, some some kind of list that tells you, you know, just just tell me what to do uh, step by step, so I don't miss something and and mess it up. And I think this was that motivation or that desire is at the the heart of this moment that we see in the Book of Luke, Jesus has finished praying. He's spent time with the Father. He's been praying with the Lord, and he comes back, and his disciples say in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Show us the steps. What do we do? How do we pray? And it's not like they weren't familiar with prayer. Uh, the Jewish faith uh, is full of prayer, and there's, there were set times during the day when, when people would, would stop in prayer. They would go to the temple and pray, and, and Continue to do that to this day. So it's not like they didn't know what praying was, but they saw something in Jesus. We want to pray like you, Jesus. Would you teach us how to pray? And and what Jesus does for them, for his disciples, and what Jesus does for us, his disciples, is to give us a pattern of prayer. Jesus teaches us how to pray. And it's it's kind of like a checklist. It's something we can go back to and say, hmm, now have I prayed about provision? Oh no, I, I forgot to do that. Let me let me pray about my needs that I have and, and ask the Lord to provide for me. And and we call this prayer the Lord's Prayer. And we're gonna spend the next couple of months walking through the Lord's Prayer step by step, phrase by phrase. Now, you might ask, "Well, why are we going to do this? Couldn't we just cover it in one sermon?" It seems like a bit lengthy or detailed. And I think the simple answer is that if Jesus very clearly gives us direction, which he does very often, I think it's a good idea to try and do what he told us to do. If we follow Jesus and he tells us to do something, let's yeah, let's do that. So, so that's one really simple way Jesus says, this is how you pray. We should give attention to that. This is how we should pray. But I think there's there's more to, to this, to why we're spending time in this prayer, in the prayer that Jesus gave us together as a church. It's, it's because if we don't know how to pray, if we don't live a life of prayer, have a heart of prayer, we can't fulfill Jesus' calling to, uh, to be his disciples and to make disciples. We can't do it without prayer. And we talked about this last week for for a while as we talked about our shared mission together. And I think, I think it's true, the comparison I was thinking of was that trying to follow Jesus, to live with him, to be his disciples, trying to fulfill Jesus' mission of making disciples without prayer, that's like trying to run a marathon without breathing, right? You can't even, it doesn't, it doesn't even come to your mind because you think in order to do that, I must breathe. And we need to get to a point where we view prayer as essential to our life in Jesus and our mission that he's called us to, as breathing is to, to all of life. I, I went for a run on Wednesday, and I was trying to do this this practice where you you only breathe through your nose so you don't run too fast and and i just kept i kept like oh maybe i'm getting a cold or something i can't breathe enough. i can't get enough oxygen and I, I spent this whole run like yearning for more breath uh, and 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 a lot of us are trying to do life in jesus in that same way where we're not getting enough oxygen where we're not breathing as as we should Eugene Peterson, uh, pastor and author, he's, he talks about our need for prayer like this. A kingdom of heaven life consists of things to do and ways to think, but if there is no prayer at the center, nothing lives. Prayer is the heart that pumps blood into all the words and acts. Prayer is not just one more thing in an inventory of elements that make up following Jesus' kingdom of heaven life. Prayer is the heart. If there is no heart doing its work from the center, no matter how precise the words, no matter how perfectly formed the actions, there is only a corpse. It may be a very lovely corpse, The embalmer's art, especially when the embalmer knows his or her Bible, works wonders with appearances, but dead is dead. R.I.P. Thanks, Eugene. (laughs) When we follow Jesus, we will be constantly tempted to live without prayer, and that's true of us individually, and it's true of us As a community, we get so comfortable that we begin to live as if we don't need to walk through our pre-flight checklist. And that can only go on for so long until we find ourselves quickly relearning to pray midair because the plane engine just died. (laughs) So we're going to follow Jesus by learning together how to pray in the way that he taught us. And before we get into the prayer itself, Jesus gives us a warning. When you pray, first he says, don't pray like this. He gives us a couple of warnings because it turns out that prayer is not just necessary and essential, it's also dangerous. Jesus tells us when you pray, don't be a hypocrite. And when you pray, don't be a pagan. No, when you pray, he says, be a child. So let's read Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 5 through 13. It's on page 811. If you are using one of the Bibles from the table back there, I'm going to do something I don't always do, but I would ask you guys to stand as we read God's word today. And when we get to the part where the Lord's prayer, Jesus teaches us how to pray, why don't we just say it all together? Our Father in heaven, all right? You guys... You guys know that part there? So it'll be up on the screen as well. Let's begin Matthew chapter six. I'll start in verse five and we'll read together starting in verse nine. And when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, we ask that you bless the reading, the hearing, the preaching, and the believing of your word this morning. We need you desperately now. Our hearts are are cold and weak and frail. And and we need you to break in, Holy Spirit, and teach us our need for prayer, our need for you. And I pray that we would come away from this uh, seeing where we are at when it comes to our life of prayer, our heart of prayer, but also encouraged because you've invited us to pray. And so we ask all this in confidence and boldness and gladness because you're our Father and we are your children. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. So, the first danger here that Jesus warns us about when he is teaching us to pray is hypocrisy. He says in verse 5: when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So, there's a danger in prayer. Jesus tells us there's a danger that prayer can become a performance. This is his first warning for us. And the Greek word for hypocrite originally refers to a stage actor, but it came to represent anyone who was a liar, who had a reputation for, for being deceitful. And history tells us that there was a theater that was built in a nearby town during Jesus' adolescence, during his young Life and there were many of these kinds of theaters that Herod built throughout the region where Jesus lived and Jesus ministered. So, so the idea of theater and stage and actors, it was present in the minds of the people that Jesus is talking to. So, so when Jesus says that when we pray that we shouldn't be a hypocrite, a stage actor, a deceitful person, the people who heard it they immediately understood what he was talking about. Don't be like those people. And this image of prayer as performance, prayer that's disconnected from who you are genuinely as a person, it becomes obvious to them and I think to us as well. Once Jesus calls it out and says, Look, look, there's people all around you who pray as performance, they're basically actors. In some kind of performance in their mind, and that's what they're doing. It becomes clear and obvious once Jesus reveals it and once he calls it out. So we have to ask here, okay, we're doing a lot of public praying this morning. Like, I've been doing it a lot this morning. Greg has prayed in front of other people. Like, we are doing public prayer today, and we are committed to doing that. So so are we disobeying Jesus when, when he says this? Is he telling us that we should never pray publicly, only in a secret place? The problem that Jesus is pointing out here is not prayer in public. The problem that Jesus is calling out, the danger that he's warning us of, is the desire to be noticed by other people when we pray in public. Public when we pray to be noticed, when we're more conscious of the people around us than of the God that we are talking with when we pray, our motive is not to be with God, but we want to be people who are thought of as someone who is with God. We want that reputation. Uh, if you're a surfer, you call this guy a poser, right? He he has all the stuff. He looks like a surfer, but he never goes in the water and surfs. And there's posers in all, all areas of life, looking as if you are something when you really aren't. It's all form. It's no heart. There's no action. There's no life there. So so we have to ask, why do people do this? Why do we do this? Why do we perform? Why would we use a gift that God has given to us and twist it and turn it into a performance that we might be thought of as good spiritual people instead of just being spiritual people. Why do we do this? Dallas Willard, he explains it this way. When we do good deeds or when we pray to be seen by human beings, that is because what we are looking for is something that comes from human beings. God responds to our expectations accordingly. When we want human approval and esteem and do what we do for the sake of it, God courteously stands aside because by our wish it does not concern him. So now we're getting down to the heart of the first danger of prayer. We want to look as if we are better than we are. Now, this isn't just in prayer, right? We do this with all kinds of things in our lives. We want the shortcut. We want the results. We want the body. We want the reputation, but we don't want the work. We don't want the time. We don't want the sweat. We don't want the commitment. We don't want the sacrifice. But what do we miss when we turn prayer into that kind of thing? We miss out, Jesus says, we miss out on the reward of being with God. And we might be admired by every person who ever hears us pray or or looks at us, but we miss out on the delight of walking with Jesus, the enjoyment of time together with Him. So then we can ask, what do we do with this danger? that is present for us? How do we avoid prayer as performance? How do we get to a place where we care more about what God sees in us more than, than we care about what others see in us? How do we get to that place? And here's the application Jesus gives us. He says, here's how you avoid this. He says, you, you can fight this pride, this tendency to perform through humbling yourself he says in verse 6, when you pray, go into your room or go into your inner room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what is Jesus telling us here? We've already said he's not forbidding us from praying in public, but what he's saying we need to do is to strip prayer down to its basic essence. What is prayer? Prayer is you and God talking together, spending time together, and it's really nothing else. He says, just do that. Go back to that. If you are drawn to to pride and performance, go back to a place where it's just you and God and there's no one to perform for. Go to a place where you're not tempted to be on display for other people. Go to a quiet, isolated place. And what do you find in that place? You find out who you really are. I think this is, this is scary stuff here, right? If we are really thinking about when we cut away all the, the external things, the the Christian traditions that we might have, the things that we're familiar with when we just go somewhere where none of that is present and it's just us and Jesus, I think it's a little frightening. I think this is why a lot of us avoid solitude and silence because we're confronted with the shallowness of our relationship with Jesus in that place. But I also think that even though it's scary, I think this is Jesus' grace to us, to call us and say, who, who are you really in, in your heart? And so, so think about this. If you get up tomorrow morning early, you which is always hard on a Monday, but you, you say, I'm going to pray tomorrow. It's just going to be me and Jesus tomorrow. And you set your alarm early, so you get up before your roommate or before your, your spouse or your kids or whatever, uh, and, and you get up early and you, you have your coffee. Maybe you don't even do coffee. It's just you and Jesus. Nothing else. Which is a huge sacrifice. And you say, okay. It's just me and you, Lord. Like, aren't you kind of scared that you won't have anything to say? Or that you'll run out of things to say really quickly and you'll start like, that's only seven minutes? What? feels so long. Like... Man, when I look at my phone, 15 minutes goes by like in a flash, but now I'm, to, I'm alone with Jesus and time is just crawling by and I, I feel like I'm getting a little bored, actually. That's when you really know who you are when it comes to your life together with Jesus. If you don't enjoy being with Jesus by yourself, then you don't really enjoy Jesus so let's dig into this a little bit more because it's not painful enough, is it? <laughs> I was reading this pastor named Tim Keller, uh, someone I really appreciate and admire, and, and he was talking about spiritual hypocrisy, and he references an 18th century theologian pastor named Jonathan Edwards. And, and he points to this sermon that Jonathan Edwards preached called Hypocris- Hypocrites Deficient in the Duty of Prayer, whole sermon on that. Uh, from the 18th century, and, and Jonathan Edwards, he says, there's only one thing that you don't do for show in the Christian life, and that's secret prayer. Everything else that we do is for show or is seen by other people. Everything else somebody sees in some some way, and secret prayer is the only thing you do just for God. Um, and, and not for anybody else. You're not even really doing it for yourself. We've just talked about this, like we're getting up early in the morning. You're not doing that for yourself because it exposes <laughs> where you're at. This is just just for God, just for Jesus. And here's, here's what Edward's conclusion is. If you do everything else but secret prayer, all of your Christian life is just for show. All of your Christian life is a performance. If you don't pray just you and the Lord together. Tim Keller, he kind of concludes this and wraps it up. He says, if you don't have a secret prayer life, a prayer life that is not a performance for other people, that is a sign of hypocrisy. The reason you pray is because of your environment, not because of God. Well, this is painful. It's been painful preparing for this today because I, I feel like I've been exposed. And I, I'm guessing that some of you are feeling kind of exposed right now as well, that Jesus warning here to not be a hypocrite, to not to pray as a performance. I, I, just, I just feel like I've been hiding and, and it's, all, it's all come to light here. Now, what do we do with this? What do we what do we do in in light of our recognition of our of our sin, of of not praying, of not obeying what Jesus is telling us here? And the first is just to do what's already happening. What the Holy Spirit is doing is to recognize, to be honest, and say, "I am a person whose life in Jesus is mostly a performance," and just. Admit that and recognize that in your life. And second, it's, it's to confess that to the Lord, to confess your pride, to confess your desire for other people's approval more than delighting in Jesus. To confess your preference for the reward of what other people can give you rather than what only Jesus can give you. And then third is, is after we have confessed, it's to turn our eyes to Jesus, it's to look to him. Uh, because it's in seeing Jesus, the magnitude, the beauty, the joy that, that he is, that's when we actually begin to get called into that life of prayer where we're not bored, where we're not uh, distracted. John Stott, he says, we have to become so conscious of God that we cease to become self-conscious right we we just keep turning our eyes to him we have to replace our desire for for the way other people perceive us by looking again and again and again to jesus and being overwhelmed at the beauty and the goodness of who he is and lastly it's to go to prayer we we acknowledge our sin we confess it we look to jesus for his grace and then we go to prayer we do what he is calling us to do, to go to a secret, quiet place and pray. Andrew Murray, he has a classic work on prayer called With Christ in the School of Prayer. He says, the Father is in secret. In these words, Jesus teaches us where he is waiting for us, where he is always to be found. Christians often complain that private prayer is not what it should be. They feel weak and sinful. The heart is cold and dark. It is as if they have so little to pray, and in that little, no faith or joy. They are discouraged and kept from prayer by the thought that they cannot come to the Father as they ought or as they wish. Child of God, listen to your teacher. He tells you, that when you go to private prayer, your first thought must be, the Father is in secret. The Father waits me there. Just because your heart is cold and prayerless, get you into the presence of the loving Father. Being with the Father, being with Jesus, that is itself the reward of prayer. It's not to check the box. It's not to round out your Christian life. Being with Jesus is the reward of prayer. And so when you pray, Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. Next he says when you pray, don't be a pagan. His warning is in verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, what is Jesus saying here? This is a little bit confusing. And, and we can say in a sense that Jesus is moving away from a danger for religious people in prayer to a danger for what we might call non-religious people. The word Gentiles here in the, the ESV, it's translated pagans in other, in other Bible translation. It's the Greek word ethnikos, which is sometimes translated nations. So it's the idea of basically everyone outside of, of the Jewish ethnicity. And uh, the New Testament, when it's, when it's giving us that idea or that word, it's really talking about those who are outside the faith of, of the God of Israel, uh, those who are, are unreligious, people who are immoral, people who aren't really concerned about the rules or whatever uh, the God of the Bible is requiring of them. They're just living however they please. So Jesus, at, at some point, he becomes familiar with the, the religious practices of those outside of Israel, or we could say the pagans. And so it was common, and it still is today in other religions, to, to repeat the names of numerous gods or to say the same words over and over and over again. Uh, what, what Jesus says here is this fervent babbling. It's piling up words upon words, mindless repetition. And so this is the idea, like the Greeks and the Romans would do this. They would, they would say the, just the names of the many, many gods because they weren't sure who is listening are they able to help me here or or do what I'm asking? And so I'm just trying to cover all my bases by naming all the gods that I can think of, and hopefully I don't miss one. And then that one gets mad at me. I just I just need to to say all the names of these gods. And and it, this is this is prayer as a formula, prayer as as a tool or a, a magic incantation. I don't know if you guys remember this in. In the book of Acts, in Acts 8, there was this magician named Simon, and he, he comes to faith in Jesus, but he's still accustomed to his spiritual practices as a pagan uh, of 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 magic and incantations and being able to use words as power and to give himself influence and to gain respect. And, and so he sees Peter and John, they come there and they're praying for uh, the the new Christians where he is. And uh, Simon, it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So Simon has believed in Jesus, that Jesus is the King, but he's still looking at prayer in a way that he used to, a tool that was used to control God or the gods or whatever whatever magic he was using, a way of gaining power. So he was still praying like a pagan. He wasn't praying like someone who knew Jesus. And so he was corrected, right? He was, he was strongly corrected. Now Now we have to try to connect this with something maybe that makes a little more sense to us, maybe that might be more familiar. And when we say that Jesus is talking to non-religious people here, I think it's more like saying, uh, you know you know how people will say this, and maybe some of you say this, I'm, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And I think that's, that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. How does a spiritual but not religious person pray? Well, probably they're not going to call it prayer. They're going to call it something else, some other kind of name for it. You might call it visualization, where you imagine what you want for yourself, for your future, for your life, and you might say it out loud. You might declare these things. I am a person who is like the... I mean, this is, these are real uh, practices that people use, um, you might might say you're using the power of positivity. I'm putting my thoughts out into the universe. I'm expecting a good outcome. This is what people are talking about when they say sending good thoughts your your way. What you're saying is this is the world, this is the outcome that I want, and I'm going to use the divine to get there. Whatever the divine is, I'm, I want to speak this out and the divine will hear me and respond. And the problem with this kind of prayer is that it has no basis. It has no basis. There's no reason to believe that a general sense of, of the divine, whatever that might be, cares about you at all or is listening or if they. If it, whatever it is, heard you, why would it do what you're asking for, what you're saying? I think for a variety of different religions or spiritualities, the hope is, the basis is that, that the volume of prayer, meaning the amount of, of prayer, how much you pray or speak or meditate, that it will accomplish in some way whatever it is that you're seeking it might be peace it might be personal prosperity it might be overcoming a bad habit in your life whatever that might be and and i think ultimately this prayer or this form of prayer is based in i think it's based in fear right we could look all the way back and say you know the reason the greeks and the romans would say all the names of the gods was was because of fear i don't know if if that god is listening so i need to make sure i say the name of this god because if that one's not listening i need this one to be listening and then you're just afraid ultimately that you don't know what's going to happen and so you just you have to you have to do all this stuff to cover your bases, and, and under that fear, it's expressed in this desire to control. That's what Simon the magician wanted. He wanted to control God. He wanted the power of God, and he wanted to be able to harness it and use it in whatever way he wanted for his own gain. And that's exactly what people are doing today when we pray or visualize or meditate or whatever it might be to, to gain some goal. We're just saying, I want to use that as a, as a tool to control the outcome of what I want for my life. Jesus says, do not pray like this. Don't pray like this. He's showing us prayer is not a tool that we hold in our hands that we can, we can wield as we, as we want. Prayer, Jesus says, it's an invitation into communion with the God God who created us the god who loves us and the god who we don't ever have to wonder if he's listening or able to do what we're asking. We don't have to try to get God's attention through a multitude of words. You guys remember the story of Elijah in the Old Testament when when he and the prophets of Baal are uh, they're having a competition basically for whose God is more powerful and what do the prophets of Baal they, they go through this long drawn out process and, and Jesus is saying you don't have to do that don't pray like that don't pray in that way don't use a formula don't use a fad even Christians fall into this where, where we, we, we start reading a book or whatever that, that teaches us a way to pray that, that's going to work more effectively or something Jesus just says, when you pray, we can pray in simplicity. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be flowery. It's just a prayer of surrender, a prayer of sincerity. I remember when I was in uh, college age, I was in a Bible study with a bunch of, of young people. We had an amazing dynamic group uh, of people just seeking the Lord together. And I remember there was this young woman who had come to faith in Jesus, and she was just still trying to figure it out. She didn't know, you know, there was people there who who had been Christians their whole lives or grew up in church, and she didn't. And so when she would pray out loud in the group, it was noticeably different. But she didn't care she wasn't like, oh, I must start saying Father God like 57 times every time I pray or, or just, you know, all these things that we say instead of saying um when we pray. And, and I remember I had a friend who was visiting from out of town. He went to the Bible study with me and he, like, he said, what, why does that girl pray like that? <laughs> I don't know if she should be allowed to pray out loud at your Bible study. <laughs> I was like, wow, you're kind of a jerk. Uh <laughs> She just started following Jesus. She's, she's praying in simplicity and sincerity. She's, she just likes to be with Jesus, and you want her to like use some kind of form or structure that, that you're comfortable with, and that's not what Jesus called us to do. So here's Jesus' two warnings for us. When we pray, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a pagan. And lastly, he says, when you pray, Here's what you need to be like. You need to be a child. Now, the basis for our life of prayer, it's always going to be rooted in who we believe God is. If we believe God is busy or he's distant, then we'll feel like we're bothering him when we pray. Oh, he's just got so much going on. You know, he doesn't... There's just a lot of people, right? I... I He's just busy. If we believe God is angry or disappointed with us, our prayer life is going to be timid, and we're always going to feel like we have to do something to gain his approval before we pray, make some kind of offering, tangible or not. If we believe that God is weak or can't do everything we're asking him to do, our prayers are going to be uncertain and full of doubt if we believe that God is reluctant to give us what we need or what we want, that he's stingy, our prayers will be kind of a, like a bargain, like a bargaining, like we're buying a new car or something, begging and pleading, would you just give me a loan? I just need this so bad from you. But Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And after his warnings, he says, here's the basis for your life of prayer. He says in verse 8, your father, your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's the basis for, for our life of prayer in Jesus. He says, when I was just praying and I came back and you asked me to teach you how to pray, this is what you need to know. Your father my Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so the prayer that we're going to spend the next couple of months in, it's rooted in that promise from Jesus. If, and if you want an outline of where we're headed, these are some of the things that we'll be learning about prayer over the coming weeks. That prayer is first, it's a response. We're responding to God's invitation. Jesus is inviting us to pray. This is how you can pray. He doesn't say, you know what? You're not the Son of God. Just keep praying the way you were praying before. No, he's inviting us into praying the same way that, that he prays. So, first, prayer is responding. And, and second, Jesus teaches us that prayer is rooted in this love, this adoration of God, right? We begin the Lord's Prayer by talking about how holy he is, how set apart he is. It's coming from this heart of of worship. And, and then Jesus says prayer is its asking God. It's bringing the things that you need to God. And prayer is telling, it's confession, that as part of our prayer life that we're regularly confessing to God. These These are the areas in my life, these are the places where I am not following you, where I need your grace. And finally, prayer is... It's trusting, it's believing that God is my Father who knows what I need before I ask Him. So when we pray, we can be confident that God is our Father. If, if you have placed your faith in Jesus and you've said, Jesus, my life is in you, it's not, I don't come to God on the basis of who I am, what I've done, but I'm coming to you on the basis of of who Jesus is and what he's done for me, you can be confident that God is your father. And so you come to him as his child, not as a servant, not as an employee, not as a volunteer, not as a criminal, not as a beggar. When we follow Jesus, our prayer, our life of prayer is as a son, as a daughter of the father and And nothing can take that away, and so our prayer then is full of this confident joy and and you know those of us who have kids, you get a sense of this in the way that your children relate to you that that only a child can be sure of the love that their their father or their parent has for them right that that there's this They will ask you anything, even if it's completely ridiculous, but they don't, I mean, unless unless you've just taught them the repetition of saying no over and over again, but they'll just keep asking you for things, and a lot of times you know what it is that they're going to ask before they do, and sometimes you even have it ready for them. Could I Could I have this? Could I do this? I've already made the arrangements for you. Uh, and there's just a certain kind of joy you get as a parent of relating to your kids like that. A lot of times it's super annoying because you're like, they have asked me so many things and some of my kids are in here today. I love you guys. <laughs> Keep asking. Not today, though. Um, but right, there's this confidence and, and that's... That's what Jesus is calling us into, this confidence that we can ask our Father because he loves us and he takes joy in us. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that when I pray, I know that God is my Father and that he delights to bless me and that he is much more ready to give than I am to receive. He is much more ready to give than I am to receive. I must see God as my Father who has purchased my ultimate good in Christ and is waiting to bless me with his own fullness in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we uh, sit here in, in deep need. I know for myself my hypocrisy has been exposed, my desire to control you through prayer has been exposed, and I confess those things to you, that I have often come to you not as a son, but in some other way, afraid or proud, but not just as a son. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us these warnings and for showing us how to pray. And not just for showing us how to pray, but for ultimately giving your life to make us sons and daughters of the Father. That without you, Jesus, none of this would be possible. Help us learn how to pray, to take joy in being with you, to learn how to linger in your presence as someone that we delight in. Thank you, Jesus, for calling us again and again into this life. I pray that you would help us grow in this as, as individuals, as in a church, and that we could see our lives together in you grow and flourish and become more rooted that we begin to learn to breathe as we live with you and on your mission. Thank you for being faithful, Jesus, and for calling us into this life. We ask it in your name. Amen.